Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Melanie Boylan. And welcome to today's podcast. I'm delighted to be here today with Laura Ryan, the Head of International HR and the Dublin Site Lead for Dropbox. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Melanie. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful that we managed to slot you in. You're a busy lady. (laughs) (laughs) They are busy times for sure. Yes. So first and foremost, at Dropbox, you recently announced your new virtual first strategy. And we expect many businesses will also implement some form of remote working um, long after the pandemic has ceased. So as an HR leader, how do you navigate a successful shift to remote work for your employees? Yeah, so um, I might just give a two minute overview, uh, Melanie, of what virtual first approach is before I get into how we're navigating the shift. Um, So we've taken a pretty bold step with our future of work strategy because Unlike hybrid models, you know, a hybrid model being a mix of remote and office working, virtual first means that remote work will be the primary experience for all employees. So all solo or individual focused work will be carried out remotely. And what we're doing is we're repurposing our current traditional offices and designing them into what we're calling studios. So they will be designed as collaborative spaces for team meetings or large group events but they're really not intended for everyday use or BAU activities. So, you know, it's business as usual. Sorry, sorry, I will, I will, <laughs> that will be the only acronym that I will use for the rest <laughs> of it, my apologies. So day-to-day kind of, you know, um, general activities. The, the sole intention of the, um, of our studios is really around team building. It's, you know, it's around, um, making sure that we retain the human in-person element to work specifically as it pertains to things like our culture and community and teamwork. So as you can imagine, this strategy, you know, it's a significant shift from our, for all of our employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as you said, if remote work is here to stay, at least in one form of, or another, you know, I expect that many organizations will have to navigate this change. And like so many, we too are on a learning curve. Uh, And we expect that this will continue to evolve. But we really do believe that to making this shift a success, no matter how you decide to handle things like, you know, the scheduling of offsites or, you know, team building activities, you know, that creating the right culture, we believe is really the the key to to shifting to a remote remote working um, model. any change in how we work requires an evolution of our culture. And in our case, you know, it must adapt to ensure that both asynchronous and real-time collaboration can thrive and that our people are motivated to come on the journey with us. So to your question, navigating a successful shift, it does actually require us to move away from traditional thinking, right? So things like, you know, outdated pressures or demands on employees to be physically visible they're just no longer relevant. Um, and, and I think we, we've seen the proof, you know, already in some statistics. So there was a recent study of knowledge workers across the UK, US, uh, Canada and Australia, I believe, and 82% of people reported that they are equally, if not more productive, working from home. That's a pretty remarkable statistic. Um, and I think, you know, an employee's success needs to be viewed in light of their results and not in, you know, in terms of the hours that they're spending online. So I think most importantly, we need to use the present moment to let go of, 
institutional micromanagement that still exists in organizations and and to do this it really requires a reevaluation of the meaning of things like productivity um, and how it shifts and how we shift um, to working smarter not harder I think the other thing that I, I would say here in terms of how we're thinking about um, navigating this the shift is really underscoring our company mission so we believe that our employees need to be able to find purpose and power in our company mission and having this clearly defined to drive cultural change from the bottom up. So, you know, companies that we see do this, you know, see doing this quite well is where they have a mission that closely aligns to their talent strategy. So, for example, there's a cloud computing company called VMware, which is a remote organization. Um, that company is all about providing virtual desktops to remote employees. So there's a pretty clear connection there. And needless to say, Dropbox's mission of enabling collaboration in the cloud fits within this model too. So we will be builders and users of, um, of a product connecting teams and tools across the globe. Well, I've seen and heard more and more stories about collaboration and how people are working together through the pandemic. Um, you know, this, this has become a new culture really, hasn't it? Absolutely. There, there's no doubt about that. I think um, it's been remarkable, like, and I continue to be so impressed how quickly people adapted um, to this new way of working. And I think, you know, for us, um, we have really uh, encouraged and we're trying to drive a learning mindset within our organizations. And, and I think, you know, it's been an iterative approach, right? You know, I, I think this new way of working will continue to evolve and change, um, but it has been a remarkable shift, like nothing we've ever seen before. Mm. And all it took was a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. I mean, it's such a year of first for, for, uh, for so many. And I, I think at Dropbox, we, we have been talking about how do we get to a more distributed way of working pre-pandemic, but never in our wildest dreams did we think that we would, you know, be faced with um, the pandemic and that we would then be in this, you know, global experiment in terms of how we could turn um, a virtual first strategy into a reality and do it with a level of confidence that, um, that we now that we now have, albeit we, you know, I'm confident I use that word loosely. We believe that it's the right it's the right step for our organization, but we also understand that, you know, it will be an iterative, um, it will be an iterative process. Mm. So, I mean, there's there's an awful lot of talk about, um, you know, how much people are probably working more in fairness these yeah. days because they're working from home um, and, you know, burnout is the word that's being used. Mm. What should organizations be doing to protect the mental well-being of their employees? And if remote working is here to stay, which we know it is, um, what steps can companies take to help employees draw distinctions between work and home? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think this is a topic I'm extremely passionate about. Anyone who knows me will know this. Um, I think I think there's a few things really, but the most important is the need to prevent an always on culture, particularly as we're operating, you know, mainly through through Zoom and online. I think in the current state of working, we're just so reliant on tech, you know, more than ever in both our personal and professional lives. And I don't know about you, but, you know, your days become inundated with pings and instant messages and notification and the boundaries have just, you know, as you've said, they've been completely blurred between work and home. 
So I think, you know, we've done a number of things and I'm happy to kind of to, to talk through them. Uh, I, I think foundation table stakes is partnering with wellness platforms, you know, such as in, in Ireland, it's modern health for us. Uh, and they're just great ways of providing organ, you know, providing better support for mental so well-being. actually partnered with them directly. Yes. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. Um, and, and basically what we do is we provide free coaching and counselling on a confidential basis to all of our employees. And more recently, we increased the number of free sessions up to eight per, per person. Um, and we've also extended this offering to the families of our employees um, because we feel that more now than ever, people just need to talk. We need to we've opened up conversations in work about the importance of talking about mental health. Um, and so that was kind of a we had that in place pre pandemic, but we've extended the offering. So I think that's kind of a, a foundational one for um, for from a mental health perspective mm -hmm. in relation to wellness. Um, we trialed a number of company-wide shutdown days. So early on in the pandemic, a couple of months in, it became very apparent to us that people were suffering from an, a level of Zoom fatigue and there was an, you know, they were constantly switched on. And so we decided that we would trial this concept of company-wide shutdown days. So everybody in the organization would get the same day off. And we, we usually extended them to make weekends longer. So they were Mondays or Fridays. Um, and really the idea was that we would, you know, it's actually knowing that everyone else is off at the same time and you're not returning to a full inbox really enabled our teams to fully switch off. Hmm. So they were a huge success. And then we actually um, extended those days to coincide with Thanksgiving in the US. Uh, and we called it Gratitude Week where we had a week long shutdown. So the entire organization globally shut down for a week wow. um, in, in November. And honestly, in my 20 year career I have never um, I have never been more grateful uh, and it was aptly called gratitude week because that break that real disconnect break where you knew that nobody else was working and everyone including our, our you know our leadership team everyone actually took the break um, and people are a little bit more refreshed now into the last stretch coming into the year and we've had phenomenal feedback in relation to that so that's something that we've tried. And, and again, I think in a virtual first world, we will try and figure out what's the appropriate frequency to continue with company-wide shutdown days. Um, and, and I'm not so sure. So you're that. actually living the four-day week? Sometimes. Well, sometimes. So we <laughs> trial them, um, we trial them once, a, once a, a month. So they were monthly days. But we also do have things like um, we have flexible PTO, uh, which is where our employees have... Um, PTO? PTO, sorry, I said I wouldn't use any more acronym. <laughs> I am so sorry. Paid time off, um, holidays to us Irish folks. Um, but we um, we um, we call it PTO at Dropbox. So uh, paid time off. We we call it flexible paid time off. But essentially, it's where our employees have. Uh, access to unlimited leave so like you know we moved away from a certain number of days a year uh, previously we had like 25 days mm. um, and we introduced that earlier in the year um, pre-covid and and really it was around you know giving people the autonomy and the flexibility to take the time that they needed for their own personal circumstances regardless of you know whether they had the days to spare so you know for so they didn't feel forced to take them all you know one or two weeks here or there you could actually do a duvet day yeah if you if you if you wanted to you could you could do that and do it with 
um, with peace of mind um, and have the autonomy to make those decisions. You know, we, we trust our employees to manage their own schedules. Um, and so that was introduced, that concept of flexible time off uh, was introduced back in January. And that's been a huge success. And I think it's really helped. It really helped us to have that in place before this pandemic hits. hit. So when, you know, we had, I mean, I have, I have three young children and so I didn't have childcare for a large proportion of this year, but still uh, had a full-time job to do. And so I felt very supported by the organization to take the time that I needed to do that. And I didn't have to worry about whether this was holidays or, you know, what it was, it, it was just, it was there. Um, mm. I think that, that sends a signal of, you know, trust and empowerment and autonomy and everyone, not just, you know, at a leadership level. I think we've had feedback from, from employees right throughout the organization, um, reiterating that exact point. So, well, I'm, I'm delighted you actually started that before COVID. Um, mm. how, how has the staff, you know, sort of received it? And, and do you think other companies should be doing something similar? I mean, it's quite a, quite a different way of running things. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I think, um, so first of all, the feedback has been hugely positive um, from our employees. There, I think there are some preconceived challenges when it comes to unlimited time off or anything that's flexible and that we don't count. And I think count days. And I think, you know, the, the whole concept of people having unlimited access to time off, I think can scare people, right? It can scare employers around how do you manage that? Well, how do you put the right guardrails in place? And I think others feel that, you know, that some employees might actually end up taking less time out, which is also a concern. Um, and, and what I would say is that, you know, implementing any new policy alone isn't enough, right? You, you know, mm. the, the policy is the permission. That's all it is. That's where it starts and ends. It's the documented permission that an organization gives, but, but people don't feel empowered to use that or implement it if we don't have the right behaviors to support them. So for example, you know, I, um, it really irks me when I see people come back from holidays and they say, oh, you know, it's just so busy. I was on the beach. I had to deal with this email. And I'm like, we need to stop that mantra of I'm so busy, like, you know, wearing it as a corporate badge of honor that I can't take time out because actually, you know, it's a far more meaningful and important message to showcase to your teams that I did not respond to those emails or I went completely unplugged, which is a, another um, another initiative that we, we ran to actually switch off the technology from people's um, uh, devices um, while they're on leave. But but for leaders to actually really believe that and, and it's uncomfortable for people to, mm. you know, because we all want to be wanted and busy and you know we're so important and that concept of the business can operate without me if I've done an appropriate handover and I have delegated work appropriately and I've been thoughtful about how I've done that then it's okay for me to step off and actually focus on family or my own mental health or well-being because everyone needs that you know and and so it is um it's a journey Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, but it really does start with getting the policies in place, understanding, you know, what the guardrails are, how you manage it, how do you how do you train up your leaders in the organization? But ultimately, it is really around leadership's role modeling the right behaviors so that people feel empowered to take that and not contacting people when they're on leave, which has mm -hmm. been um, a challenge for us sometimes as well. But as you've made it a company wide policy, it's been something that's been accepted, I suppose. 
um, you know, because you've actually put it in writing. But what about the little guys? Now, we've been talking a lot about how Dropbox um, are doing things and, you know, how other larger corporate businesses can do things. But what about the little guys? Um, you know, the small business, uh, you know, they, how can they change things and improve things when they haven't really got the, the staff or the resources to step away from work? Yeah, I, I think I think it's interesting. Like, I think some of these philosophies and policies and behaviors can apply universally, regardless of the size of an organization. And I and I fully, I fully believe that. Um, I think that when you're talking about you know role modeling behaviors, um, when you're talking about trust and empowerment, I think irrespective of the size of the organization. They just they can be applied universally and i think even more so for small businesses where you know you've you've fewer people doing more that burnout potentially is a bigger issue um and so a lot of this is not about you know deep pockets or big resources it's about behavior and it's about um it's about trust actually fundamentally mm. in and um, expectations as well because it's not only just managing your expectations of how you should run your business but how other people should expect you to run your business when you are a small business and they expect you because it's you know you're a small team or a sole trader even worse and, yeah. you're, and you've got all those responsibilities that you should be responding because it's you know it's your business so I think maybe managing um, our customers expectations is equally as important yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think things like and these this, these can sound basic, but, you know, um, doing a handover plan, you know, and maybe small businesses might not necessarily have these type of practices in place because it is more informal or there is more of a kind of a community family feel to these businesses. And so it's OK for you to interrupt my time off because we're all there's a sense of we're all in this together. And no matter what, we'll all just rally together to get the job done. But actually, you know, if you put together a thoughtful handover plan, it's prepared, it just requires a little bit of discipline and a shift mm. um, in how you're operating. And I think a commitment, right, to truly invest in employees' well-being and an understanding that you respect that, that boundary. And I think that's ultimately what it's about. And sometimes boundaries kind of sound, oh, you know, a little bit in, you know, a little bit formal and a little mm. bit, you know, unfriendly, but actually boundaries um, in certain circumstances can be hugely impactful because to your point, it's about the expectation um, that we're setting. But everything, Melanie, that, that, you know, that I'm talking about from a large, you know, tech organization like, Drop, like Dropbox can be universally applied um, to any, any organizations, whether they're, you know, small, medium-sized business, sole trader across the board. Mm. I mean, there's VAs um, that can look after your business whilst you're on holiday or off sick or something. Um, when I went away a couple of years ago, I got some good friends who are also in the same business as me to monitor my accounts whilst I was away. So I didn't have to respond. Um, and, you know, that, that was helpful. So there is a way. It's just being open to it, isn't it? That's half the battle with the smaller businesses. <laughs> yeah, again, open to an element of change, trying new things. But again, trust, like you have to take a leap of faith and you have to trust that somebody else will will be able to, to do that job or will be able to pick up when, when you're gone. And so um, and that can be hard because it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, 
Uh, it's a new way of doing things, and particularly, I think, if you own a business, I can imagine I've never been uh, in that position to own my own organization, but I can imagine that that extreme ownership um, is something that's very hard to walk away from. But ultimately, you know, to preserve mental health and well-being, and I think we're far more educated on the importance of that. Mm. Um, it's it's especially it, this year. <laughs> oh, more than ever. I mean, it's come into sharp focus for everyone this year, right? In terms yeah. of the importance of looking after our holistic selves, um, and and I think um, I really think it's critical. So I, I do hope that people start to think about it in a slightly different way. So just talking about time off, actually. Yeah. How much time have you spent off and, and what did you do? How did you spend it? Yeah. So as I said, I, um, I have three young kids. So I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so my time generally spent off is with them. So I, I, there was a period of time where I, you know, because of we were in lockdown, I didn't have childcare. So I had to work in a very flexible way so I would spend the days with the with my children which was amazing actually mm. um to be able to do that we were at home there was no pressure to go anywhere to be anywhere there was no expectation to do anything except you know build lego and um and do arts and crafts and you know uh, they're young enough so I didn't have to over index on homeschooling so I wasn't under huge pressure there so um and then I was able to catch up when they were in bed and do, you know, you know, prioritize what I needed to do. And, and again, there was flexibility to do that. So that was that was fab. Hmm. We've also um, moved house. So because oh my our, word, as well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the one of the benefits of virtual for now, we were thinking of 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 relocating out of Dublin anyway. All right. Um, but again, one of the benefits of virtual first meant that I, I can continue to have a meaningful career um, at Dropbox, um, but I now live in Tipperary as of a week ago. Uh, and Congrats. so, yeah, thank you. So me and my husband are both from Tipperary and never thought we would have the opportunity to continue with our careers um, outside of outside of Dublin. And so it's been wonderful. I mean, it's a week, but, you know, we, are, we were able to call to see my parents and, and Martin's family um, at the weekend and not have to, you know, rush back up the road. So we spent most of our time uh, with with family, actually. Um, we haven't obviously left the country. There's been no flights to San Francisco, any of the usual mm. uh, traveling that we would do in a day. But um, it's actually been a, a, such a strange year, but it's helped us really kind of prioritize and refocus on what's truly important for us and in our lives. And then to be able to actually make the move has been has been wonderful. Um, I'm also for my sins doing um, a coaching diploma with the Smurfit Business School, and that's been amazing. Um, Where do you find the time? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, had I have known, to be fair on that one, had I have known uh, what was involved, and even though the course tutors, I had a call with them before I signed up for it, I, I think I kind of thought, oh, I'll just fit it in. Um, I have great support. Honestly, I have I have an amazing um, childcare set up. Um, and so I think when you have all of those things in place and you have the ability to work in a flexible way, mm. you just do. You find it, you know, and you know, it's, you know, it's finite. Like I know the course will end in April. I know the move was happening and that would end at a certain time. And so, yeah. um, but actually what the coaching course um, has really uh, helped me figure out is that I didn't have enough time for reflection in my life. So there's a lot of reflective work in that course. And mm. um 
you know, for so long I've been operating on, particularly in the last 10 years where I've been working for kind of US tech companies and there's like, you know, you work at pace and you have one gear and it's forward, you don't look back, you just go, 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 go. Um, and I love that and I thrive in that pace. Um, but I, I, I think I didn't fully understand uh, why, what I liked, like why I was doing certain things. Like there was a whole element of reflection that was missing from my life, which has now come back into it. And that's been really rewarding actually. And that's mm. because of COVID and the course, but having the time to actually spend thinking about life actually. And I know it sounds very philosophical and maybe a little bit away from what <laughs> you were hoping to talk about today. Um, but it's, it's been, I wouldn't say life-changing, but it's certainly been eye-opening for me. Mm. I didn't have any of that um, in my life before. To be honest with you, Laura, um, the reason why we've got you on this podcast is because you are thought-provoking. So this is very much on topic, um, you know, for what we're, we're looking to, to learn from. So I'm going to take you back away from being on holiday and <laughs> resting and back to work. Um, so now we've got this distributed workforce how do you think the employees can actually show their progress and mm. find ways to climb the ladder because they're all at home now yeah. how are you monitoring their success and and deciding on who you can possibly elevate and add to your new leadership team yeah it, it i mean it's it's a great question and you know i think one of the main reasons we decided upon the virtual first strategy um, as opposed to a fully hybrid model or a fully hybrid or a hybrid remote model is because it's intentionally it's intentionally different because we want all our employees to have the same experience. So, hmm. you know, we had reservations about hybrid models because they can not in all cases, but they can perpetuate two different employee experiences. So if I decide that I want to be in the office five days a week and Melanie, you decide that you don't want to come into the office at all then we have very, very different experiences. And that might actually uh, impact your ability to progress in an organization versus mine, depending on my manager's preferences and natural biases. Human beings are not designed to be impartial. They're just mm. not. Um, and we have to spend a lot of time, you know, educating people on their un unconscious bias. So we might have very fundamentally different experiences, which is why the virtual first strategy, we believe, um, is re it, 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 play it creates a level playing field. Um, and so anything that did not did not do that for us was was a red line issue that might impact on performance or career trajectory um, or that was in any way, you know, um, not aligned to our values around inclusion um, was it was a no brainer for us. So I think what's been interesting and what we've learned actually um, over the last number of months is that you know, being on Zoom with everyone, I used to be the person in Dublin, you know, with a room full of folks in the US um, trying to like come off mute and speak, whereas now we're all completely um, in the same situation. And so it's been an amazing equalizer. So actually in a virtual first world, in a location agnostic environment, such as we are now, uh, it actually opens up opportunities for people because, um, because it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, once you have access to a computer, you can actually work from anywhere uh, and you can do any job once you have the right skills and the right capabilities. So we actually recently, you know, I've seen we're trying to really embrace this new way of thinking. And within the HR team, we've seen two people in um, we've seen two people progress and get global roles 
that six months ago would not have been an option for them out of Dublin. So that's a massive shift in how we're working. And we that's hope pretty that pretty impressive. By, yeah, it, it, it is. And we hope that by um, by showcasing that this can be done, now there mm. is always, you know, there there's always tweaks that you have to do and there's always adjustments. So, so is uh, this part of your talent strategy that you're incorporating? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, how do you ensure that people, regardless of location, have the same access to opportunities globally? Um, and um, it is, and again, it's fundamental to the virtual first strategy um, in terms of creating that level playing field. And, and now we're, we're, we're starting to actually uh, promote people into global roles, as I said, from Dublin, which, which would not have been an option pre-virtual first, pre-pandemic. Um, because the in-person um, visibility on the ground in our San Francisco office would have been more critical and more valued than than what it is today. It's interesting, um, isn't it? Because, you know, this time last year, you would have seen uh, how able are they to travel? You know, what responsibilities mm -hmm. do they have outside of your business? It's stuff you have to take into account when you're looking for roles. Absolutely. Um, and, and now that's not an issue anymore. That's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, it absolutely is. Now we're talking about how do you work in a, how can you do more work asynchronously? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how does somebody who's in Ireland, for example, uh, collaborate with teams in the US so that it doesn't impact on their well-being and, and go into the night? And how does that person reshape their day to, to think about non-linear working days? And, and how do I, because I, I work with a lot of teams in the US. So, mm -hmm. for example, I get to spend um, I get to take my kids to school every day now that was never and I get to spend some time in the morning um, with the, the baby well she's two now but um, I wouldn't have done that before because I left the house at half seven I got into the office and so I don't mind then in the evenings working a little bit later to collaborate with my colleagues in the US whereas before oh, I might have been so a little that's bit that's how more. it's flexible right absolutely so it, this whole concept of non-linear days like this, this afternoon for example from half two to four I have a break in my day and I am going to take the kids swimming um, knowing that I'm on calls until 8 p.m. I can still I take a break from uh, 7 to 7.30 I get them to bed and then I will go on calls then after that and so that's a that's a new way of working it, wow. it, it's a very blended different way of working and you have to make it work for your own circumstance not everyone has you know I, I appreciate that not everyone has the the demands that I have in terms of of children or but it doesn't matter you know if you are if you have dependents or you know you're in a caregiver it, it doesn't matter the same principles apply in terms of flexibility um, and in terms of the ability to manage your your own time mm. um, and so and it's the same when it comes to uh, back to onto the kind of career question, I think, you know, um, equal access to everybody, regardless of location, is so important for us. So this brings me actually rather smartly, a nice segue, thank you, um, to how you're going to hire and retain talent in the future, because you're talking about how flexible it is for you. This is actually going to be quite a draw for, you know, parents people with elderly relatives that sort of thing because you can give them that kind of flexibility so how will you continue to hire and retain talent in the future and not to put any pressure on you but what are your predictions and in what ways are we not going to be going back yeah um okay let me take the first part so i think um i think how are we going to hire so i think 
we're, we're, go, we're location agnostic, right, which means that we don't have to rely on the major hubs, for example, so we can go outside of those, which means that talent will ultimately be way more accessible mm. um, and affordable as people move outside of the main tech hubs, which is which is great news for talent attraction everywhere. And so as more and more companies start to make this move, I think people like me who can who can have, you know, what I've always craved, which is, a, a you know, a, a I suppose, a quieter pace of life in the country with my family get to have amazing career opportunities as well. So you're right. It is an attraction point for people, for people like me. But I think, you know, hiring practices will have to change focus to reflect that, you know, as candidates living outside of cities or in remote areas, they mightn't always have the same work experience. So, you know, and I think there has to be a shift in um, a shift in how we're assessing people so if for example you know I haven't lived in the Bay Area or Dublin or London for example you know generally when you're hiring people from those areas you can expect some sort of a minimum experience in a scaled company for the majority of candidates right and we see that coming through all the time so if we're hiring people from other tech organizations but in new markets as we think about it people won't have the same experience so what we need to start thinking about is how do we assess if somebody can do something versus they've already done it um, with a proven track record. And again, it, it requires a leap of faith. It requires managers to uh, assess potential um, in a different way. And it is a critical- But you're trained in the gaps that they have anyway, I would assume. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But again, it's it's our, you know, managers are used to hiring people that says, oh, well, they've done X, Y, and Z at Microsoft or LinkedIn or Google. Therefore, mm. I know that they can do it. Whereas you're not going to see that now, right? Like we're going mm. to, and so it's just a very different way um, of thinking about it. And I think again, back to we have to continue to have a learning mindset. We want to make sure that our managers are just curious about the potential and the opportunities that are out there. That's actually quite a good point, actually, because normally you've got somebody who can oversee your ability, but now you're going to have to work out in written form what you can do and if you fail to mention it then that, that could be the difference between you getting a job or not couldn't it yeah I mean I think we'll still have um extensive interview processes and conversations around around these things so I would hope that um as we start to kind of scale up our remote hiring processes and um policies and you know educate our managers around this that it's not reliant on a candidate right it's our responsibility to ensure that we're um we're getting all of that information from the individual um but and, and so we do have to change how we how are how we're interviewing people right? that's what i was thinking is yeah you've got to try and draw the information out of people because they Absolutely. won't necessarily know that they need to pass it on in in a document form um, because they won't have the same sort of um oh what's the word um like testimonials from um from managers now who because they can't see them they can't see what they're doing all the time absolutely yeah no i think i i think i think that's it and so you know it will be interesting like many organizations um we haven't been hiring in huge numbers so this are kind of you know there's been elements of um hiring pauses throughout the year uh, we saw in most organizations we saw decision making around hiring kind of slow down i think that was a common theme that we saw across the board this year uh, and so we hope that in 2021 as we start to see an uptake in that that we are now kind of you know mm. under we're, we're trying to understand what 
what will it look like? What's the talent landscape? How the talent landscape will be different and how as an organization do we make sure that we're doing everything that we can to harness that and leverage it as much as possible. And that's what we're focused on in, at the moment, which does mean that we have to, as I said, critically shift the mindset um, of, our, of our internal teams. So what about your predictions? In what ways oh. are we not going to be going back? Predictions, in what ways are we not going back? I think, um, I think individual solo work um, will, be, um, will continue to be done from home. Um, there is no doubt about it, though, in-person team collaboration. We know we've, we've trialed a number of online collaboration tools um, and they're ex like they're extraordinary, but they're so good. Like you can actually feel that you're in a room with people collaborating, doing whiteboarding. Um, you know, I think virtual reality um, will play a role in, in how mm. the employee experience will evolve in time. I think it will be an enhancement mm. um, to employee communications in a remote environment. Um, however, I do think that, you know, uh, while I am very innovative and future focused generally, I do think that it's very hard to, um, to replace or, or, um, over, or compensate fully for the in-person experience. So, mm. you know, I, I think teams over the next few years will be really trying to, you know, figure out what works best for them before they land on something. So I see a lot of flip-flopping, you know, in the short and medium term, because I, I think individuals and, and humans by nature will want to revert to what they know, which is people want to be in, in the office together. But there's nothing like the full scope of body language and you yeah. know, the, the, the visual understanding that we and comprehension that we get from one another when we connect. That's right. And, you know, it's not just because we need to do it, it's because we miss it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to your point earlier around, you know, for certain teams, I think, and certain people, people and profiles of people, this model is usually attractive and maybe not for others. And we need to figure out, you know, that we'll have to figure that out on the journey as well, because mm. I miss it. This model suits my lifestyle, but I, I'm craving to get back into the office to see my team again in person and mm. to be able to sit down and have lunch with them or a coffee with them and just have a chat, you know, and, and, and just reconnect. Even though, actually, I would say that I know more about my team than I've ever known. I've been living in their houses with them over the last nine months. and, and Met you know, <laughs> Totally. And, and we actually take a genuine interest. Like before, there's 15 minutes, you know, in every meeting going around the room to see the Zoom room to see how everyone is, whereas before we wouldn't have done that, right? And so, there, it, you know, there are so many pros and yet there is nothing to take away that one con of physically being in the room with people. So I do see, um, sorry, back to future future projections. I do see a, a lot of um, flip-flopping, but ultimately I do think that, you know, any models of remote work will have to incorporate and have and place emphasis on maintaining in-person collaboration mm. and in-person um, in-person work because it's so critical to culture and onboarding and a sense of community and a sense of belonging to any organization which are the things that are actually critically important to an overall um, to an employee's overall happiness at an organization so Maslow's hierarchy absolutely and it, you know I, I what, when was that in the 70s or yeah. sometime yeah it was it, it, I mean the concept rings true you know today still it today absolutely it hasn't changed and so um, I think hiring practices going back to that for future predictions I'm really interested to see what we can do there to make it a much more 
personalized experience and meeting people with where they're at. So back to that concept of you may not have all of the experience that we've traditionally gone out, but we actually are become more curious about what you what you have. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, giving back into local communities, um, I, I'm really passionate about that as well. So I think um, and we can do that by hiring people where we would not have hired people before, which I think is a wonderful opportunity. Uh, not a, not a driver for a model like this, but just a wonderful benefit of, mm. of having a a, um, a distributed environment. Wow, I can actually I can actually see a lot of what you said coming to fruition. Actually, mm. um, certainly with uh, corporations and companies such as yourself. Now, just before we finish up, could you tell us a little bit more about where we can find more information about unplugged? PTO, pay time off, yeah. and Dropbox's virtual first strategy, because I do think these are going to be, you know, pivotal moments where, you know, other companies and other businesses may need to actually look at them. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, we we have conducted, I mean, extensive uh, research uh, we've done a lot of deep thinking. There's one thing in Dropbox, we are thoughtful, if nothing else, uh, <laughs> before we landed on our virtual first strategy, we looked at so many options. Um, and so we're really, really proud of this. Um, we've open sourced our findings, actually, um, and the plans for our virtual mm -hmm. first um, for our strategy in relation to virtual first toolkit and that is uh, publicly available on our company blog. So all of the information that we found there. Uh, in relation to unplugged PTO, um, that's not up there. Um, however, um, <laughs> I am more than happy to talk to anybody who wants to know more about that. That was uh, my own brainchild, actually. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, congrats. Um, thank you. It's gone global. It was actually something um, on my third maternity leave. Um, I, um, I didn't switch off the notifications on my email out of curiosity. Hmm. no pressure from the organization I'm just you know curious by nature and I remember coming back kind of going what would it have felt like if I didn't do that um would I have felt like that I got more of a break or less of a break and should we give people the option of actually switching it off and how would we connect that to our technology to actually uh, integrate it into workday so that when you're applying for these leaves or chunks of leave that you click a button and it automatically happens and you don't even need to think about it, but then it just cuts off your email and your notifications to your mobile device. And so, yeah, when I got back uh, a year or two, a year ago, um, I just got a project team together and we thought about it. Um, um, could it be done? How would we integrate it into our workday system? And yes, it could be done. And um, our leadership team loved it uh, again because it went to our principles of, you know, uh, how do we preserve our employees' well-being? and mental health and it just took off and now it's a global initiative so that is my own my own baby that I am so passionate about and um what a legacy <laughs> yeah I, I'm proud of that one I have to say I am proud of that one um and um and it's being used which makes me even more happy and the feedback that people when they come back from holidays you know people have said oh my god I felt more refreshed than I felt in years mm. I really got to switch off um, and, and as part of that, we had designed like a ton of best practices around handovers and, you know, what to do in an emergency situation or, you know, how do you help managers feel more comfortable that it's done? And it really is about driving accountability um, with leadership 
and also with individuals to take responsibility for their own actions so that they can actually go off and enjoy the time as well. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but <laughs> <laughs> you only asked me how you could find us. So I, yeah. I, would, I will talk to anybody about that um, <laughs> and share all of our learnings and experiences um, about the journey to getting there. Well, that's one hell of a way to end the podcast, I've got to say. And kudos to you, Laura, for you know being so innovative and creating that and making it actually possible for, for your company. Um, but thank you so much for your time today. Um, been fascinating talking to you. Great topic. And I'm sure that there will be people who will be seeking you out to learn more about both um, the virtual first and, of course, your unplugged PTO. Well, that's all for now, guys. Thank you so much for listening and do come back again. We're going to be getting some more fantastic and fascinating people coming up soon. Thanks for listening. Please find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and our website and subscribe to our podcast today.